Good time to pick up your outline and take out your notes. If you have your Bibles with you, which is another brilliant thing to bring to church, bring your Bibles. It's as great. So if you've got them, I'd like you to open them to Job. As you can see on the outline, there's the first scripture that you have. It's in the eighth chapter of Job we're going to be reading from. It's the first verse. And what's happening here to set the context is the one of Job's friends... One of his buddies is giving a speech, and he's kind of got it right in this sense of the word. He's talking about what's wrong with the world. And one of the things he says is wrong with the world is found right here. He says, in fact, let's read this together. Let's read it together. Those who have, let's read it again in synchronized, feels like a three-legged racist. Those who forget God have no right. Now, we see the proof of that in every aspect and sector of our culture. And the further we get from God's light, the darker it gets. That's what it does. The further we get from God's light, the less hope we have. But conversely, the closer that we get to God, the more hope we are going to have. Do not forget that. If you today are in a place where you're feeling your hope level is low, this is important. The most hopeful people are those who walk closest to God. doesn't mean to say you're immune from the ups and downs of life, but you'll see the hope and you'll sense that hope. Conversely, the most hopeless and negative people on the face of this planet are those who have drifted from God. We're going to talk about drifting a little later on. Now, have you noticed, for example, over the past few years, a lot of people have put their hope, quote, and politicians. I'm not mentioning any names here, but hope has been instilled in politicians. Basically, what people have effectively done is, uh, I like to say this in church, they bet on their favorite horse. Now, some of them didn't get what they wanted, and they're pouting right now. But I'll tell you right now, on the authority of God's word, not anybody's opinion, that our hope does not lie in the person in the beehive. Our hope does not lie in the person in the White House. Our hope lies in the person that we put on the cross, and he is our savior. He is worthy of putting our hope in. God is greater than any government, and the Bible jarringly reminds us, jarringly, those who forget God, who put their hope in other things but God. What does it say? It says they have no hope. They think they will. It's kind of like the person who follows the mirage. They think there's water there. It's dry bones. Sucking sand. Don't waste your time is the counsel of God's word. So what happens literally now and very practically when we as a culture forget God, even as some sectors of God's family forget God. Well, here's what happens. You may wonder, I haven't put this in your outline. Number one, wealth, listen carefully, wealth is idolized. It's idolized. It comes before anything else. I will pursue wealth at all costs, even to the detriment of my Christian walk and my commitment to serve his bride and love his bride. Then, the second thing you're going to notice, and Bob, Bob McCroskey and Family First are going to talk a lot about truth is minimized. Who cares about truth? Check the media out. Half the problem these days is finding 
verifiable truth sources, reliable and trustworthy truth sources, because most of them lie. Now, another thing we see when we move further from God is the media is vulgarized. And advertising, have you noticed it? Everything's been sold on sex. I saw some ridiculous thing that came across the hill this morning about, well, I won't draw attention to it, but it was totally unnecessary in the Herald. And everything is sexualized and commercialized the further we get away from God. Think about that. Think about the movies. And therefore, what happens is our consciences are desensitized. We become hardened. I've said many times before, imagine you have a friend come over to your place, Gary, and they're there, and you're having a cup of tea, and next minute, they start cuddling up, like some people in our small group, cuddle up together, not looking at anybody in particular, <laughs> just in the front row. And imagine if next minute, I'm just telling you, how would you feel if next minute, somebody that you invited into your home started smooching it out on the couch, and then the next minute started taking their clothes off, what are you saying? This is a church. This is what happens in some of your homes. You don't bat an eyelid. If somebody did that in your lounge, you'd show them the door flipping quick. Media is vulgarized. Entertainment is secularized. Free markets are monopolized and politics are very polarized with the further we get from God. This is not about politics, guys. The kingdom of God is way greater than the puny little kingdoms of men and women. Sports are scandalized. Did you see last week when we were trying to put the wrong sex in a weightlifting deal and compete? That's not sport. That's ridiculous. Morals and ethics are liberalized the further we get away from God. Drugs are legitimized. Nothing wrong with it. And sin... On TV, you think about this. Sin and media is glamorous. Most of the news is about sin. Who gossiped about who? What fight's going on there? What angle's going on? And therefore, because of these things, drugs being legitimized and sin glamorous, the family breakup is rationalized. Well, I just don't love her anymore. I'm out of here. I'm going to do what's best for me. And just like my iPhone, I'll trade her in for the next model. And because the breakup of the family is rationalized, the courts are paralyzed and justice is long in coming. And manners, have you noticed this? Manners and respect are trivialized. Anybody want to give a testimony to that? Manners and respect are trivialized the further we get from God's light. Christians, you will find, starting about three years ago, are going to be demonized. Especially if you're a male Christian and God in a secular culture is marginalized. No wonder people have no hope. Those who forget God have no hope. Now what our families need, what our culture needs is a fresh baptism of hope. And today, I want to do two things. Number one, I want to define what hope is and what it's not. Because a lot of people think hope 
what they think is hope is really not hope at all. It's just wishful thinking. Hope is far more theological. It's not psychological, it's theological. And secondly, I want to give you 10 clear, practical, theological, and real reasons from the Lord's Prayer to hope. So number one, what is real hope? Number one, it is not, it is not, it is not optimism. That's different, different category. Hope and optimism are not the same thing. Hope is theological, optimism is psychological. Now there are three kinds of hope. And of those, generally speaking, and of those there's only one that's legitimate. Only one. The first kind of hope that people typically think of, inverted quotes, is wishful hope. And it's what most people mean when they use the word hope. You know, you're late to a meeting and think, jeepers, I hope the lights are green because I'm going to be late otherwise. I mean, that's just a typical colloquial way that people use the word hope. Now, maybe it will be green and maybe it won't be green, but that's just wishful thinking, folks. It's just wishful thinking. It's based on no fact, just wishful thinking. And I hate to tell you, but hope like this is not going to change anything. Zero. So it's a dead end, that one, wishful thinking. It doesn't work. That's not the kind of hope that you can build your life on, wishful thinking. Forget that. That's insanity. Number two. Now this one's a bit more serious. This is an expectant hope. In other words, there's some basis for this. There's actually some basis in fact for this type of hope, rather than just simply wishful thinking. You know, for example, if I go and plant some lime trees in my back garden, which I have done, and I say, well, I hope they be a fruit. Well, there's some rationality, some reason I have for thinking they're going to produce fruit. I have an expectation. However, sadly, as my lime trees will tell you right now, six years later, still zero fruit, so I'm still waiting. I had an expectation, and I was hopeful, but it doesn't guarantee anything. Far more seriously, when a woman is expecting, that's a legitimate reason to have hope. But as sadly some of you know people who are expectant, that doesn't always come true. Some of you know people here and people that you know who have been expecting a baby and they know the pain of a miscarriage. My mum, or even probably another level again, which was what my mum went through, that was the pain of having a stillborn. She had an expectation, it was reasonable, but it did not work out. So two types of hope. One, two. First one's complete la-la land. Second one has some reason, but not always guaranteed. That's what the Bible talks about, the third kind of hope, and that's what I want to focus on today. This is the kind of hope that you need to build your life on. The Bible talks about this type of hope as the anchor of your soul. And it's this, certain hope. That's the third type, certain hope. Christian hope, that is as described in the Bible, is not wishing. 
It's not feelings. Did you hear that? It is not feelings. It's not simply expecting. But it's knowing for certain that you're going to have what you have hoped for. This is the certain hope. Uniquely Christian. And the verse I'd like to look at is Hebrews 6. The first part of that verse, 19. You can read around it later. But for time's sake, we're going to take the first part. This certain hope of being saved is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Now, there is no doubt in certain hope compared to the other two. The other one's La La Land that has some hope. This is certain hope. It's a graduation. There's no hesitation. There's no reservation in certain hope. There's no uncertainty, but what if? You don't have to account for that in this one. Certain hope is confident. Certain hope is guaranteed. Certain hope is assured. I love that. Now, the Bible highlights three characteristics of real hope. And they're in that verse we just looked at there. Number one is it's strong. It's solid. It's stable. It means sturdy and firm and unchanging. The world can't offer you things that don't change. Secondly, it's trustworthy. You only want to circle that. This is what you need to focus on. Think about those things that are good and wholesome and of good repute. It is trustworthy. It's worthy of your trust above all else. And it is an anchor. So what's the purpose of an anchor? A couple of purposes. One is to keep a boat from drifting. Keep a boat from drifting. You can drift into unsafe water without knowing about it. Now, not long ago, I had a particular birthday. And my boys, well, two of my boys that live in this country, said, Dad, we're going to do something we've never done before. Just come, come to our place and pack a bunch of stuff. And the list they gave me was really weird. So I zipped across there. And next minute, we're going up north to the Bay of Islands. And they chartered a yacht, my two boys. Said, Dad, we're going to go away together with you for three or four days. And we're going to just cruise around, hang out, play cards, laugh, dive, fish, all those crazy things that us Buckleys love to do. So we're up there in the Bay of Islands, way, way out. Captain Nathan is at the helm. And um, what had happened is we knew that the wind was coming up. The weather forecast on the, on the CB band and the actual VHF band comes up. He says, tonight expect winds of 40 knots. Do you know how fast it is? That's serious, serious wind. And so what we did is we pulled into a bay and we threw down the anchor. And we, it was about another 10, 12 boats in this bay to try and shelter from the oncoming expected wind. Well, the winds came, and boy, did they came. So we stuck it in there, and we were playing cards anyway. This is about 5 o'clock. We got in about 2, and by about 5 o'clock, we just finished playing a couple of hands of cards, and I popped up, and, um, and Steve says, Dad, the boat's moved. And we look around, and the rocks were less than 30 meters away from us. So we quickly, all hands on deck, I went up the front, yanked up the anchor, Nate started the boat, and uh, we, we moved forward. We threw another anchor down. Now there's a problem. What time is it? Five o'clock. Start to get dark. Now you've got 40 knot winds all around you. It's the only place you can anchor pretty much. You don't want to go back out into the briny because you're into the wild blue sea. And we stick it down again. And we think we've got a bite. So you put your anchor in and you 
drags for a while with a chain, and next minute, you hope it's good. We go back down, start to cook some tea, come up again, we've moved again. This time it's pitch black outside. Now it's getting scary because there are a whole bunch of boats all around there. We did that no fewer than seven times to get a good bite. And the reason was, where we anchored in that bay, there was seagrass. You put an anchor in seagrass, sometimes it'll slide, it's so thick, the anchor will slide along the top and it will not bite. At 11.30 at night, we set our last time because we, were, we had no choice. And we were watching our iPhones like flat stick on our GPSs to make sure that we were not, because you can't see, it's pitch black. Wind's going everywhere. We were making sure that we're just sort of swinging and we weren't going backwards. It was a very, very scary night, that was. See, it is very easy for your thoughts and my thoughts and your emotions and affections to drift from God imperceptibly, like we had done earlier in the day for hours, and get perilously close to very serious situations. It's easy for us to drift from our love from the person that we love almost imperceptibly, passing almost like ships in the night. It's easy to drift without being conscious of it and end up far from where you intended to be. That's the danger of drifting. The second purpose of an anchor is stability in a storm. And you're going to have storms in your life. Oh, yeah. You're going to have rogue winds that you didn't even see coming. It was not in your forecast, just like it wasn't on our forecast. You're going to have tidal waves. The odd one that just knocks you off course. Some of those could be mental. Some of those could be financial. Unexpected relational ones. Moral ones. Friends, at those times, you absolutely need anchor for your soul. Without it, you will drift. Even in good times, you can come a cropper. But the anchor analogy here, I just want to point out something else in Hebrews, is not just used to help us weather the storms. It's used to help us keep focus on the center and the source of all true hope, all true hope, which is Jesus Christ. Now, quick segue, something you may not be aware of. Early Christians suffered severe, severe persecution over a period of not two weeks, not two years, not 20 years, not 200 years. We're talking here centuries. Why did they suffer persecution? Because they refused to participate in the imperial cult of Rome, which by their government standard was considered an act of treason and therefore punishable by execution. Now here's a funerary steel. Can you pop that next slide up, please? Mm-hmm. Not there. 
Wrong slide. Okay. Wrong PowerPoint. Okay, I pulled out a funerary steel of an early third century, which is written in, it's on a steel, which is, which is a piece of actual stone, even though it sounds like steel. And in the middle of it, in the middle of, there it is, in the middle of it, what do you see? What is it? Let's pick it up. An anchor. These people are being executed. They took this very seriously. You're about to be executed possibly in the next two or three months. Your children or somebody you know, some of you has been already executed. They had that anchor of the, it was very, very firmly in, well, here it is in concrete, not concrete, but no wonder it showed up in such times, in such distressing times. It was the anchor. Notice the fish as well. Real hope is solid. It holds on by faith to Jesus Christ and his eternal purposes, which will never be derailed. It is strong, it is trustworthy, and it's an anchor. Look at this one. Here's the largest anchor in the world. Next slide, please. That's the largest anchor in the world. It's in Iran, for those of you who are wondering. That's the type of anchor you need to hold yourself. So the question is, where can you get real hope to anchor your life to? Not the other fake stuff. And the fact is, when people are in the storm, they typically look in all the wrong places. When people are in deep pain, or confusion, or even depression, or discouragement, or even they're just disoriented, nothing makes much sense. Was one of... Somebody I spoke to last week said, nothing tastes. They often look like my dad did to the bottom of the can. Well, in this case, the bottom of the bottle, that was before cans came on the scene. Some look for pills. Some look for a temporary bit of a fix and a lift and entertainment, what they call entertainment, or maybe even a vacation. Nothing wrong with vacations. You know the scriptures encourage vacations. But guess what? When you come back from that vacation, it's still the same person. Sometimes people treat those as escapism. Now here's what God says. God says what you really need is certain hope. And real hope is based on God's word, not my wishful thinking. Real hope is based on God's word, not on my wishful thinking. It's not based on what I sense is going to happen. But what God said is going to happen. I like that. Because he's never wrong. It's impossible for God to lie. Real hope is not based on my emotions because they are all over the map sometimes. From ecstatic jubilation to the... So real hope is not based on my emotions, but what God has spoken. Not my emotions, but what he has spoken. And it's not based on my imagination. But it's based on God's obligation to his word. That you can take home and bank. See, real hope is based on the fact that God cannot lie. And all truth from God comes from God. Whereas the devil is the father of all lies. He's a liar. 
And he's alive and well right now in the media. Liar, liar. And his pants are on fire. When I put my hope in my emotions, or my talent, my abilities sometimes, my friends, my circumstances, my intelligence, or anything else, is either wishful thinking or expectant hope. But it certainly isn't certain. My intelligence doesn't go that far. My abilities are not that good. And it can't be counted on all the time. But when we put our hope in God's promises and his character and in his revealed word, that is going to give us certain hope and stability in the times of shaking. So, summarize that. I base my hope on God's word, not my wishes, on God's promises, not my feelings. What I feel like doing, that's a really, often the what I feel like doing is almost the opposite of what God's will for my life is. So throughout history, God has made promises, and he always keeps them, always. He said, well, what about some of the promises that haven't been realized yet? Well, guess what? God has all of eternity to fulfill those. Let me give you an example of what it means to have certain hope. By putting your faith not in what you feel, but in what God has revealed. By putting your faith not in your wishes by his word. Here's an example, Hebrews 6.13. See, God made a promise to Abraham. And Abraham waited patiently. How long for? Anybody want to stab a guess? Oh, 25 years. Sometimes we can't wait three weeks, three days, three months. How about 25 years? We need to just reset this word patient. We're hypertensive in a, in a whole ball of flames trying to go in one direction, and sometimes God will say, wait. Who else do you do that to? Who, who do you want to choose? Moses, Isaiah, Daniel, Joseph. We should learn from that. God made a promise to Abraham, and Abraham waited patiently for it to happen. Time goes by. Well, it should have happened like that. I could do that. Well, good luck. You try that and see what happened to Abraham when he tried to get things sped up. Friends, God is not a vending machine. I have ne- I, mm, really, probably 0.005 of a percent of a time, has God made a promise to me and delivered it within a 24-hour period. Most of the time, it is wait, buster. I don't know about you, but that's hard. <laughs> God, and why does he do that? I'll tell you why, Harry, because God is more interested in growing your faith. Your faith. Then he is meeting your timeline. What he wants to meet is his timeline. Like, in the perfect time, God sent his son. In his time, not my time. And it's never a moment too early, and it's never a moment too late. So, he received what God promised. How old, how old was he when he received God's promise? 99 years old. 99. Anybody here 99? <laughs> Hold on. Both the Bible and the testimony of mature Christians encourage us to wait for God's timing. We were always in a blooming rush. So God wants to prove that his promise was true 
to those who did what he promised. And the Bible says he wanted them to understand that his purposes never change. What God has decreed will come to pass. So God made no fit, the Bible says. Now, there are two things that are unchangeable. One, God cannot lie when he makes a promise. And he cannot lie when he makes an oath. These things encourage us. They give us strength to what? Hold on. Remember that thing when we used to come to the school gym and we used to haul up those ropes and we used to have competitions to see who could hold on for longest? I was a mad joker who would literally be six foot up and hang on so white, my knuckles would be completely white and then it'd literally drop from here onto the floor on my knees. <coughs> Hold on! That's what an anchor helps you do. To the hope we have been given, we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. It is sure and it is strong, say the scriptures. Now, so there you can clearly see our hope is not based on feelings. Oh, I love this and things are going well. No, 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 no. It's based on what God has said in his promises. Remember those ladies back in the third century about to lose their life. In the catacombs, you'll also see the symbol of the anchor. Christians used to meet there because they were so persecuted. That means a graveyard. And by the way, they didn't meet on a public holiday. They met in a work day. Imagine that. Okay? Church now is on Monday. It took an enormous amount to move the worship day from their normal day, which was a Saturday, to a Sunday. So our hope is certain because God can't lie. Now, other people will tell you stuff, and they lie. They won't deliver. You'll get disappointed, but our anchor for our soul is strong, true, and trustworthy. Now, one day... Jesus gave as the key to defeating hopelessness. Because sometimes you can find that. It goes on and on and on and on and on. And he says this. Luke 18, 1. Jesus taught his followers. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? That they should... Read this with me. What should they do? They should... And... Repeat those last two phrases. What is it? We should always... And... Those... Two, my friends, are the two old terms. When you, when you panic, you do not typically pray. When you pray, you're not typically panicking. When you worry, you are not worshipping. You're giving into your feelings. When you worship, worry flees. That's how it works. Because I get my eyes off my problem, and I get my eyes on Jesus, and things become stabilized. And every this is not a once for all. Some of you are sitting there saying, hey, no, that, done that. Well, how's it going? It's a daily, almost hour by hour decision that. Hour by hour. That's how I love it. When God fed the children of Israel, and in the Lord's Prayer, it's give us our daily bread. Not our monthly salary or our weekly wage. It's daily. And Jesus said we should always pray and never lose hope. I want New Hope Church family to be strong and those who hold on tight to hope in Christ alone. And God wants you to never lose hope. The devil does. He'll try to discourage you, depress you, divide you. Don't let him do it. Kick him in the teeth. So how do you never lose hope? 
I think we've built sufficient case for that. Well, one of the ways is by praying. In the midst of my mum's last earthly days on this planet, that was when I worshipped and prayed. And in the middle of that, I experienced the peace of God and the strengthening of his spirit and the comforting of his presence. Without God, there would be zero hope. So this week, I want to read to you and up on the screen, not in your outline, 10 common causes of hopelessness in this world. What caused people to give up? Give up on their marriage, give up on their faith. Yeah? Give up on their life. What causes pe- people to feel hope? Here they are, it's on the screen. Number one is when you feel alone or abandoned over a long period of time. Two is when life seems out of control. It's never going to change. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a relationship with a child or somebody that you've got some issues with. That can cause people to lose hope. Third one is when you don't see a purpose. People can handle enormous amounts of stress and pain as long as they realize there is a purpose behind it. Fourth reason why people will feel hopeless is when they're grieving a loss of a major loss or a series of major losses. That can cause a sense of hopelessness. This is going to hell in a handbasket type of style. Here's another one. Number five, you don't have what you need. In other words, you feel like this, I'm stuck. You don't have what you need financially. You don't have what you need sexually. You don't have what you need relationally. You don't have what you need, you name it. Sick, you've done something wrong. And that can cause guilt and hopelessness. I'll never change. Let me tell you, on the authority of God's word, you can change. Not because of the strength of what you have, but if you rely on God's power, who raised Christ from dead, you can change. Maybe shame and regret creep in there too. Number seven, you're being wounded deeply by somebody. That can cause you to feel hopeless. You've been really hurt. And then what happens is typically that hurt turns into bitterness. And then resentment, that's the thing that'll kill. Bitterness and resentment. And holding on that will ultimately cause you hopelessness in your life. That'll start to surface. Number eight, the eighth way, is when you're pulled in the wrong direction. That's called temptation. When you're constantly being pulled in the wrong direction, you go, I really don't want to live this way. Why do I keep on giving in to it? That can cause hopelessness. Number nine is when you're hounded by fear. When you're frightened and you're scared to death and you live in anxiety, that can lead to hopelessness. And then 10 when it looks like defeat, when you feel like I'm not on the winning side, I'm on the losing side, where defeat is sure and there's no way out. That can also cause a sense of hopelessness. Now, interestingly, 
And today I want to show you an amazing truth I know to be true that is the antidote to every single one of these. Oh, by the way, several months ago, we did a major focus called 40 Days of Prayer. And in that, session number five onwards, we looked at the Lord's Prayer. Now, a lot of you in this room say and know, well, I know the Lord's Prayer. I know you do. I know you say it, but do you really know it? Because the more you understand the Lord's Prayer, the more hope you're going to have. Because each one of the phrases of the Lord's Prayer answers every single one of those ten causes of hopelessness I have just mentioned. So ten reasons for hope on the back of every outline. Derived from the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. So when I'm feeling all alone, remember this. My loving Father will never abandon me. My loving Father will never abandon me. Derelict fathers do. Many of you in this room can talk about that, including me. But my loving Father will never abandon me. Our Father in heaven. Jesus revealed as your Father is a comforting Father, a caring Father, a consistent Father. You couldn't want a better Father. And don't give me this, well, well, I didn't have a good father, so I can't relate. I had a terrible father, but I could certainly relate because it's exactly the opposite of what my dad was. It was great. If I have a bad drink or something, I go, that's all. Ah, that's nice. I know the difference. In fact, almost exactly what my dad did do, I determined to do the exact opposite. And many of you can attest to the same thing. The Bible says he will never abandon me, even if my father and my mother abandon me, or they could have died. The Lord will take care of me. Psalm 27, verse 10. Friend, you are not an orphan. See, a lot of people think that the greatest, the greatest pinnacle of what Christ did on the cross was justifying me. Can I suggest it's even more than that? It's actually an adoption. Justification comes first, then I'm adopted into his family. I am a son of the king. That is a higher privilege. It's amazing. Derived from the justification. When life seems out of control and I feel powerless, remember that was a second um, problem of hopelessness. When life seems out of control and I feel powerless, I need to remember that God's power is greater than any problem. That God's power is greater than any problem. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. You created the universe by speaking it. Psalm 52, 9. In your name I will hope. In your name is good. So God's power is greater than any problem. Holy is your name. You're way above the rest. Number three, when I'm confused and I don't see any purpose, that can happen to you. What's going on? Remember this, number three, God fits everything into his plan. That's the antidote. The problem? Hopelessness. But hold on, and confusion. The solution is God fits everything into his plan. Your kingdom come. 
God's overarching plan is summed up in your kingdom. We are to seek, seek, go after. Like an exocet missile, going after your target. And live for the kingdom of God. And of course, that very famous verse in Romans 8, 28, for God works all things together for good for those who love him. And they're being called according to his purposes. That's not for everybody. All things don't work together for those who are going in the opposite direction to where God's called them. Now, that's a reason for hope. That God can use everything in my life. The disappointments, the disillusionments, the distractions. So here's number four. When I'm grieving a loss, some of you have done that recently and are doing that right now. God has a greater purpose for my life. And so I say, I surrender to his purpose even when I don't understand the losses in my life. Even when I don't understand them. I say this, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Number five, when I'm worried about not having enough, I remember, God has promised to meet all of my needs. And many of you in this room have crossed that bridge already, and you're at peace with that. Some of you are still being plagued and pushed because you have a scarcity mentality. May God release you of that today. That's a word from God for some of you today. That scarcity mentality. God has promised to meet all the money. Give us this day our daily bread. The Bible says, says this, since God loved us enough to send Jesus, won't he love us enough to take care of our needs? Here it is, Romans 8.32. Since God did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, won't God who gave us Christ give us everything else? Paul's going, come on. Be strong in your faith. He will not withhold anything you need to live for him. That's a reason for hope. I like that. Number six, when I feel guilty and full of remorse or regret, which is a, one of the causes of hopelessness, I remember that Jesus died and paid for all that I've done wrong. Jesus died to pay for all I have done wrong. All. That's wonderful. Forgive us our sins. That next phrase in the Lord's Prayer. And of course, the Romans 8.1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that gives me hope. Because I'm free from that. Don't need to carry that bunch of rubbish around. Number seven. This is an important one. Especially for those of us who are competitive. God will settle the score someday. That's a reason for hope. Friends, in this world, people get away with stuff. But God says, uh-uh. They may do right now, but one day... I'm going to settle the score perfectly with perfect justice. He says, it is your job to forgive. It's my job to deal out ultimate justice, and nothing escapes my attention. I get great comfort in that. Romans 12, 19 also says this, don't insist on getting even. That's not your job to do. I'll do the judging, says God, 
and I'll take care of it. And I kind of like that because he can do a far better job than I could ever do. So I'll leave that to him. I don't waste my energy. That encourages me and it gives me hope. Number eight, when I feel powerless to stop doing something bad, that's when I remember that God has promised to help me. He has promised to help me. Lead us not into temptation is the next phrase in the Lord's Prayer that relates to this. Paul writing to the Corinthians says here in 1 Corinthians 10.13, but remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different from what other people experience. And God is faithful. He will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. When you are tempted, notice every single person in this room, from teenager to senior saint, every single person will be tempted. This is when you are tempted. He will show you a way out. Some of the old versions said a way of escape so that you will not give in to it. So when somebody says, whoa, I couldn't help myself, liar, liar, because you, you, you're tackling with God's word. He says he provides a way of escape. We just choose not to take it. And one of the first ways of breaking those habits is actually realizing that's absolutely right. There was a way of escape, but I chose not to take it. Lord, would you help me? I don't like that. Just like Paul said, I don't like the way I behaved. I don't like the way I spoke. I don't like the way I reacted. I don't like the way I panicked. Holy, and that's good. You know why? That's good because that's the Holy Spirit coaching you in the right direction. Just cooperate with him when you're in a situation. First of all, try not to get in a situation where you've, you can be potentially compromised. It's like in chess. You think, hmm, if I move there, that looks a good move. Or, or, no, 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 I could get through there. You've got to think ahead and be smart about that. This gives me a reason for hope. That it can break through the things that are messing up my life and my witness. You are to be a witness. I am to be a witness here on this earth. Number nine. When I feel threatened or anxious or afraid of forces that are coming against me, I remember Jesus in me is greater than any other power. That's a fact. The Bible says this, 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we're to pray, deliver us from evil, from the Lord's prayer. I love again, Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, no one can defeat us. Finally, the tenth common cause of hopelessness. When I feel the wrong side is winning. Anybody felt that recently? <laughs> the wrong side is winning. I remember this. This is not the end of the story. Remember that. His story. His story. So history is his story. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I love it that he says also in Revelation 21.4, this, this is where we're hidden. Our brightest days are ahead of us. He will wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, nor pain. All that is gone 
forever. That is where we are heading. This is not the end of the story. And those are reasons for certain hope that anchor our souls. I want to finish with one great promise of hope that's been near and dear to me. Isaiah 43, 2. It says, when you go, and everyone in this room, if you haven't already, you will go through deep water and great trouble. When that happens, remember this. I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, that's hard to cross a river. You should try crossing a river. You will not drown. Keep pushing through the fear. Keep pushing against the tide. When you walk through the fire that stings and burns of opposition, you will not be burnt up. The flames will not consume you. You go through it. Some of you have been praying for deliverance from it. Take me out of it. God says, no, no, I want you to go through the river. I want you to go through the fire. And I will be with you. For I am the Lord your God. So when circumstances are escalating, and you sense a rising tide of hopelessness, you get to stop listening to your feelings and start listening to the promises of God. You get to stop listening to what I think and start aligning my thoughts with what God's word and his promises say. And that's the key to anchoring your life on the certain hope that Jesus Christ provides. Would you bow your heads with me as we close? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our New Hope family. I know that in our family, there are people right now listening to this who feel hopeless about their future, about a relationship, maybe about a loss of a relationship, or even some of their finances. Lord, there are some here who feel alone and abandoned. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, help them to remember that you are their loving Father who will never abandon them? Lord, there are some, as you know, who are feeling that their life is out of control. Would you help them slow down and realize that you are God again and that your power is greater than any problem that they are facing? Father, there are some who feel like life just doesn't matter much and there's not real much purpose of their life that they sense is rapidly passing them by. Father, by your Spirit, would you help them realize that you have a plan and that you fit everything into that plan for your good through the tough stuff and use it for good. Father, of those who are grieving loss right now, thank you that you have a greater purpose for our lives, that when we surrender to you and say, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we can find peace and comfort and security in that. Lord, there are so many people who don't have what they need physically right now, spiritually, even sexually. 
thank you that you have promised to meet our needs if we'll turn to you. Lord, there were those who were carrying deep regrets and remorse and deep guilt for something that they've done wrong. And you've convicted them about it. Thank you, Jesus, that you died to pay for those sins and they've been paid for in full. And that we don't have to pay for them if by faith we accept your payment. Thank you that we're forgiven completely, freely and instantly. May we learn to forgive ourselves and learn to forgive others. And Father, when people wound us and they hurt us deeply, help us not to seek revenge or gossip. You said, vengeance is mine and I will repay. So Father, we trust you with that. Would you help us to forgive and leave the judging to you? Because you're the only righteous judge in the universe. Because you have complete knowledge. We are not. Thank you, Lord, that you're going to settle the score one day. When we're being pulled in the wrong direction, Lord, help us to claim the promise that you will never allow us to be tempted more than we're able and to pursue the path of escape with vigor. And when we're hounded by fear, deliver us from evil, Lord. Help us remember, Jesus, that you are greater than any power that's in this universe. You're our Lord. And when we live in the culture where things seem to be going the wrong way, and when it seems like defeat, help us, Lord, to remember that this is not the end. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power and the glory forever. I pray, Lord, that this autumn and winter will find each one of us bringing to church someone who needs to know the beautiful hope that we have and the good news, which is unsurpassed in this world. It's just too good for us to keep a secret. I pray, Lord, we'll be agents of hope in a world that's increasingly hopeless. And I pray the blessing of your spirit on each and every one here today in the powerful and matchless name of the one and only Son of God, Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you. And the reading of his word.